Hear the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Speaking from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 16. Hear the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory be to you, O Lord. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you show us the way to live and you reveal your life to us in Jesus. Open our hearts to your word, we pray, and open your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I think I might um, write a letter or do something to the Church of England because what I'd love to see in the baptism services that we have is instead, as well as a candle and a Bible being given to uh, those who are being baptized, I'd like to be able to issue everybody with a big L plate. You know how they put on the front of cars? An L plate, and so that we could continually wear it round our necks. We should have been given one at our baptism because that is what we are. We are learners, learners of Jesus. Literally, the word disciple, as you know, means learner. And we are all in the business of trying to learn and understand what it means to be a people who are learning here to try and live the life, the living the life of Jesus. But to be a disciple means that we are seeking to be those who learn. So today, as we think about what it might look like to be a church that's learning to learn, we are going to go back again to that first reading that we had at the beginning of our series from Acts chapter 2 where we read the very first description of this new infant spirit-filled church that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, to the words and the ways of Jesus. And saw in him how the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled. The apostles' teaching was full of the teaching of Jesus, how he interpreted those old scriptures. And the Holy Spirit had given them a hunger for learning what it meant to be learning to live that life for themselves and working it out within the context of community and first century Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And the word that we heard read that Norman brought to us today 
was an expression I'm sure that the disciples would have identified with as the Holy Spirit animated their lives. They would have been able to echo these words, no doubt would have used them in their worship and lived them out. Oh, how I love your law. That is the ways of God shown in the scriptures. How I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. In other words, he would reflect on it. He would think about it. He would try and see how it worked out in everyday life. Gave time to thinking and to praying through what God's word meant. Your commandments, he said, are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. He's conscious of the word of God all the way through. Remember how Jesus was continually quoting from the Old Testament. And on his hour of need on the cross, it was words from the Psalms that came to his mind that he spoke out in his hour of huge turmoil. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes, he writes. More understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. He says, I've kept my feet from every evil path because God's word had shown him what evil was about so that he was able to avoid those things which would lead him to destruction. And I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the teacher who would come along and to help take the words of Jesus and make them real for his disciples. Bring them to mind when they needed them, when they were under persecution and pressure. You yourself have taught me. I expect all of us have got experiences of how we've been just reading God's word and how insight has come in a way that we don't know quite how that's happened. Things have come alive or we've heard what somebody else has said and that's come through to us so powerfully. <coughs> and then he uses this marvellous analogy of comparing God's word to the most delicious honey. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In other words, it's something that gives him this real sense of joy and a sense of delight in reading and appreciating what God is saying. And your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. In other words, he's being saved from groping around in the darkness. He's being shown which way to live. Instead of being carried along by all the latest ideas or the popular, or w popular ideas or the words of people who turn out to be corrupt leaders seeking glory and power for themselves like Robert Mugabe turned out to be. Sweet words for many people of liberation when he first started his time in oversight in rule but then was taken in a way that his self-interest consumed him. So God's word is the source of all our learning 
the source of all our understanding of God's way to live. And if we're to be a church that's learning to learn the ways and the words of Jesus, who is Lord of the church, it's to Jesus that we see for how he commissioned his disciples to be people who themselves became those who helped others to learn and learn to make new disciples. They were disciples who were learning to make new disciples. As we read in our gospel reading, they were to make new disciples, mark them in baptism, and mature them, helping them to teach and understand and learn how to obey the words of Jesus himself. And Acts 2 shows us how, on the, at least three levels, that uh, learning took place. There were three contexts for learning. First of all, there was a personal contact, context. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a sense in which they each took responsibility for their own learning. And that's something as we go forward in Christchurch that we long to see more and more. We have so much that will help us in our individual study of God's word. The notes that Peter Misselbrook produces for us. Innumerable resources on our phones or our internet or in books. We can do things like taking a word for a walk. One of the things I love to do is to have a time in God's word first thing in the morning and then just take one, pass, one little sort of phrase or a word even and then take the dog for a walk. And I'll take that word with me in my head and I'll try and remember it and recite it and then as I go through the fields and through the paths begin to almost sort of suck it like a boiled sweet like the psalmist says I meditate on it and that sweetness of God's word becomes relevant another way of learning and appreciating individually, of course, is by listening and journaling. I don't know how many use that spiritual discipline, but it's incredibly helpful for myself to be able to write down things that come to mind out of prayer and reflection on God's word as a response to that. In other words, making it possible to see what the relevance is for my life and for what I'm coping with at that time. Perhaps making words into prayers, perhaps doing drawings, putting in illustrations that remind me of things that can help me to come deeper into God's word. So there's that personal aspect of learning, the context. The second context that uh, we read of in Acts especially is how they met in each other's homes and they broke bread together. But it was also a context from learning for each other in small groups. And we know in Christchurch we have lots of small groups, life groups, children and youth groups, groups within our workplaces, alpha courses, open church, whatever it might be. We have plenty of context for learning together 
And that was often the way that the early church would do that. And there's such an important way of listening to each other and drawing on the wisdom of those around us. And thirdly, they learnt in the temple courts, in the much larger context of gathering together. It was the gathered church context that they were able to celebrate as well as hear God's word read. And we have that opportunity week by week. Not only through gathered church services like this, but also in our church fellowship, or we go to Lee Abbey together, going to youth camps, new wine, so many different places where large groups can gather. So we are seeking to be like the disciples of Jesus, devoted to God's word, like the psalmist who loved God's law. And as those early Christians went on to being filled with the Holy Spirit, God's word resonated in their heart. It stimulated their mind, it fed their soul, and it energized them for action. They were seeking to obey that great command, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we hear the story of the early church, uh, through reading the book of Acts, there is a fourth context for learning that emerges. And that is what you might call through mentoring relationships. And as we see uh, special relationships, as we see the church growing and developing, we see these special relationships growing where one would invest in the other and help each other grow in their discipleship. We see it, for example, in Barnabas and Saul. When Saul first came onto the scene after he experienced such a huge conversion, it was Barnabas, who, the encourager, who went to Saul and who spent time with him listening to what experiences he's had, where the other leaders of the church were quite fearful of him because, of course, he'd been out to persecute the church, how they were suspicious of him. It was Barnabas who started this mentoring relationship and enabled the other disciples to realize that this had been a genuine act of God's spirit and asked them to listen to Paul and to see his life nurtured as well. So it was Barnabas who nurtured Paul. But it was then as a result of that maturity that Paul grew into that he then became a mentor for Timothy, for example. And in the letters to Timothy, you can hear and feel that relationship like a father and a son. And as Timothy grew, he then became able to help others and to pass on that faith and to nurture learning in those that he was with. An interesting example that we don't often think of as a mentoring relationship, but one which is between the lines, as it were, of the scriptures, is uh, between Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos. And I just want to read a few verses uh, from Acts 18, where Luke writes, A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, 
And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I'd uh, love to have been a fly on the wall in some of those conversations. I wonder what had happened when they met. It was clear that Apollos certainly knew his stuff. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He taught about Jesus accurately, but something was missing. And Luke describes the fact that he knew only the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John, of course, was a baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness of sin. The implication was that maybe he needed an understanding of what the baptism of God's Spirit. Jesus said he would baptize with water and fire with his Spirit. But it was a question of unpacking that. What did that imply? What did it mean? What were the disciplines of prayer that would make it possible for him to grow into what God intended him to be? Did he experience the joys of worship with thousands of other people? God's work of inner transformation was what Priscilla and Aquila, I think, will have wanted to have worked through with him so that his life became more fruitful. What Apollos needed was not more information, it was spiritual formation. And Apollos, after a few months, set on, was sent on his way by the Ephesians elders to Corinth, where he led a new mission in that great city. And he made disciples and set up small churches, which were learning communities, new disciples learning to live the life of the risen Jesus. And so the early church was, a, was learning in the way that Jesus enabled his disciples to learn. How did Jesus enable his disciples to learn? Well, knowing that he wouldn't be with them very long on earth, he gave himself to equipping them to disciple others. And there's lots of things if we look at the life of Jesus, and I'm not going to spend just a couple of minutes on this, but just some key things were a part of the way that Jesus mentored or discipled his disciples, equipping them to be disciples. And we can learn from this in our own relationships with others. So Jesus quite often had a time of debriefing with his disciples, didn't he? He facilitated reflection after key experiences that they'd had when he sent them out to mission and he helped them to understand what had happened and gave them fresh instructions when they came back. He wanted to hear from the disciples and give them feedback and try to help them evaluate what they were doing. The way Jesus worked with the twelve sort of moved between instruction, action and reflection. And that's a great pattern for us to adopt in any thinking about what we're doing. We should pray, do, act, and review. That cycle, pray, do, act, review, is something that as a church we can learn to do more and more 
we will find ourselves growing and learning more fruitfully in all that we're about. Secondly, he offered alternative perspectives on things. Jesus often unsettled the disciples and unsettled their assumptions about things, such as the rich being preferred by God. Or remember the person who was born blind, thinking it was his sin that was responsible for that. Jesus was able to recognize that disabilities were nothing to do with a person's condition before God. Thirdly, he would listen. Spend so much time listening. You imagine all those hours they had together, thinking about how their lives were, were going. You think of Jesus' highly perceptive reading of the conversations around the table at the Lord's Supper. He was quick to pick up on important comments that were made on the road as the disciples were saying, oh, who's the greatest of, I'm the greatest disciple, surely Jesus will give me this. And he wanted just to speak into that situation when the time was right, when they were ready to hear. He would not only listen, but he also asked questions. He knew how to draw out from his disciples those things that were really important for them and stimulate their curiosity. He would challenge them when they were in a position to know better. And he would affirm and encourage them when they acknowledged their need of forgiveness when they failed. Jesus helped them to interpret scripture. He enabled them to pray, taught them to pray, and he gave them access to special experiences such as the transfiguration, so that they were able to have a bigger vision of who God was and who Jesus himself was seeking to show the world. And so at Christ Church, as we move towards the future, we're asking, what does it look like for us to be Christ Church in three years' time? I have a real sense that we might well be a church that is moving down this road to a greater sense of mentoring relationships between one another, discovering the richness of that pathway of learning to learn what it means to be a disciple of the risen Christ by being in, in a relationship of love, trust and accountability with one or two others. We already see lots of evidence of relationships that are mentoring. Indeed, we have our, our ministry heads who are being mentored by others. I have a mentor I'm so thankful for, Rick Lewis, who holds me to account and encourages me and challenges me and most of all, loves me. Indeed, he quite likes me, he tells me. Well, he really likes me. I can't believe that sometimes. I think, wow, this is a great guy who travels all over the world mentoring people, lives in Australia, and he wants to be my friend. I think that's a great privilege. And we work together and I help him with some training on mentoring as well. And it's just a joy that it's because he's able to uh, know my heart 
And he can often see what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life and just help to, me to take practical steps to move in the direction of transformation that only God can bring. And so looking ahead for the, to the next three years, I'm praying that we might become a church where more and more people are devoted to God, feeding and feasting on it each day, seeing its relevance in our lives, meeting in small groups, in large gatherings, but intentionally meeting in mentoring relationships where we can learn how to walk with one another in the ways of the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.